Okay, uh, greetings yet again, Alpha Seekers. So this is part two, um, part two for those of you who are English speakers, of the Week in Review, May 1 edition, because uh, I did suffer podcastus interruptus, but for a good cause, a good friend of the program called, and uh, one of the few sane people uh, remaining on the globe so always a pleasure to hear from him. And uh, we were debating or talking about some of the issues that are uh, on the minds of the world here this week, one of which, of course, is geopolitics. And I think, memory serves, I was starting to talk about the the Chinese thing. And uh, his sentiments are in alignment with mine. So that's a good refreshing. Well, that's not too surprising because we both read from the same basic sources. Uh, Wall Street Journal, The Economist, uh, to some extent, you know, quote mainstream media like the New York Times, those articles that are sane, uh, and just general business news. So, you know, it is what it is. You can say what you want, but it is what it is. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I was in the world at a glance when I was interrupted, and it was a, it was a, a good interruption. So this is a weird story out of China about a Russian who was working there and got drafted into working on a program called Pro- Produce Camp 2021, and it's a game show. So they picked up all the worst aspects of American culture. So singers compete to form an 11-member international boy band. You know. So it's amazing how, you know, the theory of parallel cultural development from Star Trek works. I mean, they're picking up the same nonsense that we have here. Uh, so this guy wanted off the show. So he kept begging people to boat him down. But that made him an anti-hero, so he made it up to the last round. <laughs> the whole thing was probably staged. Viewers adored him, calling his lackluster raps an expression of song culture, S-A-N-G, which is a defeatist outlook on life embraced by the young Chinese. So, you know, one of the things I was talking about with the, with our caller was... You know, this whole woke culture, cancel culture, polarization that weakens us from within. Obviously, people are, you know, self-loathing. They don't believe in their own philosophy. That's what happened to the Brits. You know, they get guilty about all the things they did to get their empire, and rightly so in their case. So they cease to be an imperial power. Outside of the geopolitical and strategic issues of being the British Empire... And I talk about a country that punched over its weight. And, and we're the same thing. We're punching over our weight and have been for some time. That can't last forever. But it's interesting to me that the Chinese have this own, have their own uh, lack of morale, whatever sang culture is. Uh, it's defeatist. So, you know, if they're picking up a lot of our bad habits, maybe defeatism is, a, is one of them. And that's cause for some degree of optimism. In my mind. 
Because morale is essentially esprit de corps, is what wins and loses wars. So, what else? Police traffic stops and racism. Um, The Washington Post found that in 2015, more than 100 people were fatally shot after traffic stops. A third of them were black. Now, 13% of the population, according to this article, is black. And uh, so there, there was a disproportionate number, but uh, and I think I was talking about this before I got interrupted. You know, now the other two-thirds, it doesn't break that down by Latinx or whatever Latino is these days. But it, they couldn't have all been of color, so I, I'm imagining that there's a certain number of, quote, white people, unquote, that are being killed by police after traffic stops, too. But what they're proposing here is the solution would be that you have a traffic agency with unarmed agents without the power of arrest or to conduct searches. So they would just uh, do traffic. And you would do more of it in an automated fashion. Now, I personally, I'll bet I've been stopped by the cops at least 100 times in my life. Uh, So it's not necessarily just racial profiling. One of the things that is involved with it is speeding. And it took me a while to figure out that the way to stop getting stopped for speeding was to stop speeding. But that works real well. But now you can speed all you want because the cops are not out there the way they were, I'll tell you that, even in the burbs. So, um, I mean, I don't drive as much, so that's probably part of it. But anyway, I think that the police have been overly aggressive on, on stopping people for traffic violations. I mean, I experienced that when I worked out in the suburbs. And part of it's revenue. Now, part of it is pretense stops where you see somebody and you think, what are they doing here? So you pull them over for a broken taillight. But the other obvious thing here is deregulation. I mean, there's a quote in here that says, if you're driving, it's impossible not to break the law. Well, that's not right. So a lot of these, like, broken taillight stops, you know, just take those laws off the books. The less regulation you have, the the fewer laws you have to enforce, the better for everybody, and that's a good conservative doctrine so that's my two cents on that subject embracing apocalyptic nihilism david brooks in the new york times says that in an economist yougov poll two-thirds of trump voters said that this represents their worldview our lives are threatened by terrorists criminals and illegal immigrants and our priority should be to protect ourselves. Well, he makes it sound like that's crazy, but that's not crazy, is it? Uh, in this mindset, the January 6th insurrection was not a shocking attempt to overturn a Democratic election, but practice for the war ahead. I think that's a bit overwrought, to say the least. Although you do get that sense that people feel like uh, there's this Manichaean struggle going on. And the way the politics are being practiced kind of reinforces that. It gets to the point where you can't afford to lose an election. And that's not good. Um, most elected Republicans are indulging the base's delusional beliefs about the 2020 election, COVID denialism, I don't know about that, and white grievance. Uh, 
Those who don't are attacked as traitors and barraged with death threats. Beware. History shows us that when a country is gripped by apocalyptic pessimism, people turn to the strong man to solve the darkness and chaos inside themselves. So in other words, that's how you get your Hitler, your Mussolini, your Franco. Uh, True, I think. There is that risk. But I also think there's the risk that the left goes into a autocratic mode and both of those are not good there's a thing about portland's painful lesson i read this i put it out somewhere on social that um you know even the mayor of of portland has become a liberal mug by reality and they've had a hundred consecutive days of rioting and violence crazy anarchy Murders were up 60%. Shootings more than doubled. Tolerance for law-breaking begets more of it. And that's true. But, you know, the question is what laws should be on the books and what laws should be enforced and how. So Now here in Viewpoint, James Carville says, Wokeness is a problem and everyone knows it. It's hard to talk to anybody today and lots of people in the Democratic Party, who doesn't say it, but they don't want to say it out loud. Large parts of the country are, view us as an urban, coastal, arrogant party. It's damaging to the party brand. We won the White House against a world historical buffoon. That would be Trump. And we came within 42,000 votes of losing. We lost congressional seats. We didn't pick up state legislatures. So let's not have an argument about whether or not we're off-key in our messaging. We are. That's James Carville, who's a conservative by modern standards. You know, I mean, and so are the Clintons. I said in 2016, Hillary was probably the most conservative candidate in the race. An Alaska pinata maker has uh, come up with a great idea, coronavirus-shaped pinatas. So hopefully that'll be a short term trend what else okay under Europe in France it's illegal to ask people's race uh, in Northwestern University which is very woke did a study and found that white applicants in France are 83% more likely to get an interview than non-white applicants supposedly in America whites have a 33% advantage and in Germany, they have 24%. So, I don't know about that. That has not really been my experience. In fact, I've been, you know, looking for gainful employment. And I've started to put myself down as biracial, more than two races. And I am one sixteenth Native American or indigenous. I'm getting more interviews now. So, go figure. Uh, France does not allow the collection of statistics on racial or ethnic origin because the focus on skin color would undermine the tricolor ideal of republican universalism the deep belief that all french citizens are equal and even though scholars and some politicians see a need for more data many french feel that to force someone to identify as black or asian would be importing the american framework of society that freezes identities and creates caste C-A-S-T-E, caste systems. So I agree with that. I When I worked for the census, I'm like, what are we 
categorizing everybody by race for? Well, it's because of enforcing all that great society stuff. But, uh, you know, if you really don't believe in racism, then you should buy into the idea that there's no such thing as race, which is what I was told when I went to the Chicago Historical Society, and I was like, good, I'll buy into that. There's color, but there's not race. We're all basically one human race. But that's not how we're doing it. We're doing the identity thing. So I actually like the way the French do it. But who cares what I think? Now, here's an interesting thing, and I think this would be good. In Europe, there was just this big uh, kerfuffle about uh, they tried to create a super soccer league. J.P. Morgan Chase somehow was involved with this. And it's kind of like in the United States, if you get in the NFL, you're in the NFL for good. you got a franchise. It doesn't matter how bad you are. But in uh, Europe, you have to earn your way in. You have these local uh, leagues, and you have to win your league in order to get into what they call uh, upper premier leagues based on how you do in the local. So it's sort of like the NCAA philosophy. And I'm thinking that would be good for the NFL because that would mean that the Bears could actually get thrown out of the NFL for being so bad, and they would have to get better. Whereas as it stands, you know, they can be bad for 30 years and they still make the same amount of money. Now the reason the owners don't like it is because they have to pay tons of money for the players. Um, you know, there's one soccer player here that makes $60 million a year. Well, there's no NFL player that makes that much. And that's good for the owners because they get their cut of the profits and they don't have to pay out. They got their their costs capped. I, I think it would be great. And, and that gets back to this, you know, supply and demand theory. And there's another article that ties into this. You know, there's not that many players who are as good as that guy who makes $60 million, so he makes $60 million because he generates a lot of money. And he's, his skills are rare. So it's supply and demand that makes him rich. And the only reason he makes as much money is because people like to watch soccer, right? Who cares? He can kick a ball. That has no economic utility, but because people watch him do it, and thus they can sell ads against it, he makes $60 million. You know, it's not rational, but go figure. So when you have unskilled labor, you know, if he's the guy who cuts the grass, he's not going to make $60 million, even though they need the grass, because I can find anybody to do that. So it's labor, supply, and demand is what determines compensation. And that's the principle that we're at risk of abandoning here. And then that distorts the economy. So, so there. Um, in Russia, it is arguable that nothing is going to spur revolution. So says an editorial in Prukt Media. The quote is, sure, there are risks to attending a demonstration. You might get a stun gun in the chest, a foot in the stomach, or a rubber stick in the ribs. You could lose your job or get kicked out of college. You could even end up uh, behind bars. So that's good for Putin. 
And we can expect that Russia will remain an autocracy for a long time. Now here's the the page that I found to be the most provocative or interesting or what have you, engaging. Talking points. Um, the U.S. has recorded only 2,000 flu cases since September, whereas the average is 206,000. So there is a very slight offset of deaths from the flu, which come in a, anywhere from twelve to 48,000 a year, because of the precautions against COVID. So it's a little bit of a silver lining. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office will no longer prosecute sex workers. Uh, Prosecuting these crimes does not make us safer. There's only 914 cases, which is obviously not a law enforcement priority as it is. Think about this. Why has prostitution been criminalized? Because prostitution is not a reproductive activity. And it has always been in the interest of the state and in the religions that the state fostered to encourage population growth. And we've just seen statistics in the United States that population is flat. And because we've cracked down on immigration, we're not supplementing our lack of fertility with uh, mobility from other countries, which generally have been South American countries. So uh, we're flat. And I just read an article by a progressive saying that the answer to that, or no, is is Ali Bashir, I think, on CNBC, saying, well, the solution to that is that we have to increase immigration. Well, there's another solution, which is to encourage procreation. But, you know, that's where we're going here. So between birth control and, you know, liberalizing the whole uh, gay rights thing, and that's ultimately the reason why, you know, homosexuality was discouraged, because it it was bad for... Uh, population growth. And it used to be hard to grow the population because of diseases and such. And you needed people then. Now you don't need as many because of automation and because of public health and, and medical advances, you know, the infant mortality is lower. So a lot of that, those old morals don't really have a very compelling economic basis anymore. So that's something we have to realize. And all the religions are based on those old technical conditions. So things are changing, that's why. Now here is an article I'm trying to figure out. Oh yeah, and the anti-abortion, the pro-life movement is gaining strength. And that's really, the you have to look at the conflicts in society as that. You know, the the pro-life movement is basically part and parcel of that whole procreation versus recreation thing with sexuality. And again, you know, you you know, you don't need as many people anymore and they're not that hard to come by. So I think that's why we've got changes being made to our moral uh mores, if you will. Now, 
Uh, police reform, what must change? I talked about that Newark case study earlier. So there's a cop named Patrick Skinner who's an ex-CIA guy, actually. And CIA's always been a little cleverer than the FBI in regard to even interrogations of terrorists. The FBI was the enhanced interrogation, whereas the CIA is cleverer. They bond with uh, the, the, ter- the captives. And they seem to get more out of them than the FBI did with all the, you know, some people call it torture. So this guy, Patrick Skinner, says, you need to slow down if you're a cop. He's a cop in Savannah. He's a detective. Demanding instant compliance leads cops to make bad decisions, escalating encounters uh, to something resolved at gunpoint. So in other words, you know, the... The whole macho cop thing probably needs to change. Every year there's more than a 1,000 fatal police shootings, many legally justified, uh, but still, you know, society's tolerance for that has definitely declined. So I thought that was interesting coming from a cop. Reparations on on the agenda, for sure. And apparently the House Judiciary Committee uh, wants to issue a national apology. Well, all right, that's fine. Now, the apology then, of course, would imply that there is a debt to be paid. Uh, Dennis Weissman in The Federalist asks, is it fair to ask modern Americans to pay for an evil in which they played no part? Reparations remedy one injustice by creating another. And uh, we'll see what happens on that. I mean, a lot of these reparations, quote unquote, if packaged as uh, inequality remedies, probably will go over a little better. And that's probably how they'll actually be implemented. From Wit and Wisdom, that's the quote section, grief is the price we pay for love. Queen Elizabeth said that. And it's very rare that I quote British royalty, especially German British royalty. These are not even Normans. 93% of Americans think we need to reduce divisiveness, which is probably the most encouraging statistic I've seen in a while. Because that means it's bipartisan, you know. Most people must recognize that divisiveness is not good. Divided we fall. Hang together or hang separately. Even though these are old white males who said these things, I think they remain true. So, another technology section... Uh, focus on regulation versus deregulation. Europe is trying to regulate artificial intelligence, which I think is goofy. Uh, there, there are issues with bias. If you start looking at everything racially, you know some of the stuff comes out de facto racially biased. If you if you analyze it that way. Uh, But I think it is unwise to regulate that. 
um, and Stuart Lachlan at Diginamica.com, which I've never heard of, agrees with me. Uh, the Europeans are taking the lead. The United States is not. Uh, they're prohibiting things in principle, but there's going to be no impact of those regulations on China or other authoritarian regimes. They'll just ignore them. The United States hopefully will not follow suit and probably make more progress using these tools. And if you really understand this stuff, it's it's not as scary as people think it is. So... And a lot of the legislators, are, I mean, there's no way politicians are going to act intelligently on this. Now, here's Innovation of the Week on Mars. They have a helicopter, first of all, which is a neat trick. Because the Martian atmosphere is only 1% as uh, thick as ours. I don't know thick is the right word. Dense, I suppose. But they've also... Got a box up there, like a toaster-sized machine that does electrolysis and creates oxygen out of carbon dioxide. And, of course, carbon dioxide is this greenhouse gas with global warming. So I'm thinking uh, this carbon sequestration uh, technology is probably something. I know ExxonMobil's getting into that business. And uh, can't you break carbon up from oxygen and let the oxygen back in the air and you need oxygen for medical use so and then you put the carbon back and wherever you got it couldn't you do that and then you save the planet maybe more cost effectively I don't know sounds like it's worth an investigation to me now there's a thing in here about how to sell a hit in 2021 now one of the things I know very little about is TikTok but viral hits on TikTok don't emerge as organically as they may seem to, says Shelley Banjo in Bloomberg Businessweek. Many social media platforms, including Instagram and YouTube, pay creators for content that starts trending, but TikTok management is active in choosing which videos go viral, which clips appear on the pages of personalized recommendations, and which trends spill out from the app. TikTok emails top users weekly with detailed instructions on how to increase their exposure. When make when rapper Megan the Stallion, that's Megan M E G A N the T H E E as in Shakespearean the Stallion. I don't know exactly what her deal is. Produced an album. TikTok's management had her label test the performance of five singles on the app before committing to promoting the one that was the most likely to rocket to the top of the most viewed video list. So top of the charts is now top of the TikTok charts. And I have dabbled in social media marketing, and I find it very difficult to get any kind of virality, if you will. Not virility, virality. So that's interesting to me, and hopefully mildly interesting to those of you who are listening. Okay. What else do we got here? I 
think that may be about the size of it. But you never know. I did note the Oscars had the lowest ratings in history. Um, and it's getting to the point where you can't even reward anything that's actually good. Although Anthony Hopkins won an Oscar. Frances McDermott won an Oscar. McDormand. Oh, maybe that's not the one I know. And I've gotten to the point where I don't even... I don't even know... I've never even heard of these movies who win. So... It's also PC, you know. And woke. And I think... That may be about the size of it here. We're getting toward the end. Oh, no, wait. There's more. Wait, there's more. Uh, Big tech post-lockdown digital ad surge. Uh, I'm actually going to be publishing a uh, community magazine out in LaGrange. So if any of you know anybody in LaGrange who has like a uh, landscaping business or you know, patio, it's going to be that kind of thing, or home improvement projects for rich people. But I am going to be back in the advertising business and uh, with an outfit called N2. So we'll see how that goes. But they're anticipating a post-lockdown digital ad search. Facebook, Google, and Amazon are now lions on the prowl, says Jennifer Saba in BreakingViews.com. Eyeing the fattened-up savings of the U.S. consumer. And this is the bizarre part about the stimulus. I mean, people are going to be blowing money left and right now. Last thing you need is a stimulus. Advertisers are angling with renewed vigor for consumers' attention, knowing that they are finally ready to travel and spend. Overall, U.S. ad spending is expected to be to rise 15% this year. And, to surpass its figure from 2019. Of course, it's the digital media giants like Facebook and Google that are best positioned to gobble the fruits of an economic recovery. Even Amazon's ad business is growing rapidly. Those who don't want to see the big tech firms get stronger, including U.S. antitrust watchdogs, won't love the coming windfall. But you can bet they'll go after the winners. But that's probably good for me in my new advertising publishing career. Painted Green the, talks about, this is making money, the ESG funds, environmental, social, and governance funds. So Wall Street guys are just slapping an ESG label on whatever they got to sell, and it's all BS. It's called greenwashing. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, whatever you want to hear, they're going to tell you. It's all marketing BS. And that's my bread and butter. So what's this? Uh, so those of you who are looking for gainful employment, like myself, may want to apply at the IRS. Only 14% of IRS phone calls are getting answered, and just 2% uh of those of the 1040 helpline. <laughs> they were trying to hire 5,000 phone reps. They've only been able to hire 3,800 uh, because low numbers of applications and delays in fingerprinting. So I may check that out if I could work from home. You know, 
and I'll just ask my tax guy. I like working at home from the senses. You know, that was fun. Sort of. Okay, trends. Welcome to the euphoria economy. And this is uh, on topic for Nugent Ventures, which is probably the first thing that is. Last week, the flow of new money into the stock market hit a record $56.8 billion. And my guy has me invested 80% in equities. Because what else are you going to do? I just signed up for an annuity. Uh, but And that pays like 1.2% or whatever. Uh, but, you know, there, there's no return from bonds. So what are you going to do? So the whole investment uh, community has shifted the risk on in a big way. There are 15% of respondents invested for the first time in 2020, which I actually think is good. Generation I, they call them, because they feel invincible. And they got this YOLO model, you only live once, which is true. But they're like rolling the dice on all these goofy stocks like GameStop. And I think that's good. Make it makes capitalists out of them. And then when they have to pay capital gains tax, that makes Republicans out of them. So, And we do need two parties, I think. I'd rather have no parties, but if you're going to have one, you got to have another one. It's like when you get one lawyer in town, pretty soon you have two. Now, here's the column I alluded to earlier. Annie Lowry in The Atlantic, which is not a font of wisdom, says millions of American workers have been labeled with the cancerous, cancerous phrase, low skill, uh, by Davos types, by the elites. It's a socially sanctioned slur. Really? Unskilled labor. If there's skilled labor, there's got to be unskilled labor. And that gets it back to the $60 million soccer player. I cannot play soccer. So within that context, I am unskilled. That is not a slur. I'm not good at that. There are some things I'm better at. But, you know, it's all relative, revolving around any particular activity. And if I'm really skilled at something that's really lucrative, then I'm going to get paid a lot. And if I'm really unskilled at something that doesn't, isn't very lucrative, then I'm not going to get paid a lot, and that's how it is. So this kind of mentality destroys the free market for labor. And that is not a good thing, because if there's no price signals, then you know everything is just nonsense. So anyway, that does bring us to the end of the noteworthy items from this week's issue of The Week magazine, which I highly recommend, But because the motto is all you need to know about everything that matters, which I like. I mean, what could be better? It's a little boastful, but I'm sure there's other things that matter that are not covered. And I doubt if this is everything I need to know. But that's what they aspire to, and I think that's a noble aspiration. And so until you subscribe, you can listen to me, and I will tell you uh, what I think you need to know out of all that stuff. 
And then tomorrow, I'll probably uh, tell you what's worth noting in the Tribune. So until that time, live long, prosper, and we will talk to you uh, hopefully tomorrow. Bye-bye.